Well, my name is Chris, if we haven't met yet. Um, glad to see all of you here. And uh, let, let's give it up for our students helping us out one more time in our band. Yeah, good job, students. Good job. They did really well and uh, super appreciate them. A couple of just quick announcements before we get uh, rolling with the message. Uh, our next regroup event, for those of you who don't know, that's a chance to get connected beyond Sunday with a group. It's coming up October 27th, which is like next Saturday. So six days from now, right here, 10 a.m. at New Life. And so if you're here, you've been here a while, you've been attending on Sunday morning, and you know you need to take that next step, you just need to get involved beyond Sunday and have a community of people that you're meeting with and praying with and studying the word with and doing ministry with, all that kind of stuff that's important. Um, or maybe you used to be in one a long time ago and something happened and you're not in one now. Let me encourage you, go ahead and sign up for our regroup event. You can do that on our website. You can do that on our app. You can do that at our Next Steps booth in the lobby as you leave. Uh, the next thing you may have noticed when you open up your bulletin today is there's a, a send offering envelope. And so if you've been around New Life, you know that October is a special month for us. So our promise as your leadership team here is we're not ever going to nickel and dime you. So we're not gonna get up here every week and ask you for a new love offering for this endeavor or that endeavor or anything else. So if you're a part of our faith family here, we just ask that you would give kind of faithfully to the family here at New Life. And then once a year, we all kind of come together, we go above and beyond and we raise kind of what we call the send offering. And that goes to help our partnerships here in the city, around the country and even globally. And so I would just ask you to pray um, with your spouse if you're married and say, God, what, what, can we, what can we give? What can we sacrifice so that those who don't know you, those who are suffering might have a chance to know you? And just pray about, God, what do you want us to give up uh, for the sake of all of these, these people? So we'll take up that offering next Sunday. Um, if you can't do it next Sunday, we'll be taking it up throughout the, the end of the year. If you say, Chris, I would love to give, but I'm broke as a joke right now, that's fine. You can, you can actually make a pledge for next year and say in 2019, I'll give $25 a month or $50 a month or whatever you feel like God is telling you to, to give to this cause. So I just want you to be aware of that. That offering uh, will take place uh, next Sunday. All right, as I've just said, the month of October is a special time around here. It's a time each year where we like to just hit pause on the craziness of life. We like to go back to our roots and remind one another what our purpose on this planet is as followers of Jesus. So like if I were to come out into the crowd this morning and just take uh, an informal, informal poll and say, hey, what is your definition or how would you define a Christian? I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just guessing that the answers would probably be all over the map, right? And so actually the, the Greek word Christianos that we get the word Christian from actually means, not surprisingly, follower of Jesus. I've also heard the word Christian or the term Christian defined as little Christ or little Jesus, and I really like that definition. We're, we are to be little Christ to the world around us. But if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, we have to be about in our lives what Jesus is about. Wouldn't you agree? Like, doesn't that just make sense if we're gonna say, hey, we're like, we're giving our lives for this. We're, we're a follower of, of this man. It just makes sense that our lives would look an awful lot like his life. And I think it's actually really confusing to the world around us when we say that we're followers of Jesus, but then our lives actually look very little 
like the life that he lived. And so we just want to pause this month. We want to remind each other what we're to be about as disciples of Jesus in the 21st century. And I think that we need to rewind all the way back to the beginning of Jesus's ministry in order to get a really clear picture of this. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up, turn it on on your device, whatever you have, make a beeline for Luke's gospel, chapter four. That's where we're going to be parked this morning together. Luke's gospel, chapter four, Matthew, Mark, Luke. All right, third one in your New Testament. At this point in the narrative, Jesus has been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, He spent 40 days in the desert being tempted by the devil. And now he's back in his hometown and Jesus is uh, launching into his earthly ministry. So Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 14, this is Dr. Luke. And he writes, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So now Jesus is reading out of Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are being oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I want you to understand what just took place here, what just happened here is absolutely massive. We're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning breaking down this incredible scene. Jesus is going from town to town. He's preaching in all the synagogues. People are absolutely mesmerized by the depth of his understanding and the power of his teaching. Jesus is beginning to draw attention, like these huge crowds are beginning to form. And then Jesus, for whatever reason, decides to go back to his hometown in Nazareth, and he goes back to the local synagogue where he would have grown up. He literally would have been in this synagogue hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. Now, I know not all of you are from some other place. Some of you are actually from uh, Asheville or Western North Carolina. But for many of us, we're transplants. We've come from all over the the world and we've kind of landed in Asheville. And so for those of you who are not from Asheville, um, have you ever uh, gone back to your hometown and perhaps you grew up in a church? Have you ever gone back to the church that you grew up in? Like I've done that. It's kind of a surreal experience, isn't it? All the sweet little old ladies are coming up, patting you on the head like you're still five years old. And it's like, hey, little Johnny, I remember when I used to change your diaper in the nursery. And it's like, oh, that's awkward. I think I'm going to go home now. So, you know, everybody would have known Jesus in this synagogue. Now, just an important side note here. Notice that Luke says this was his custom on the Sabbath day, right? This was Jesus's custom. It was his habit to go to the synagogue, right, to to worship. So pre-resurrection, that was Saturday for God's people. Post-resurrection, it's now Sunday. 
But if Jesus made it his custom, his habit to be in church every week or to be in worship with God's people every week, that's probably a pretty good pattern for us to follow as his disciples, is it not? All right, so picture, picture the scene. Jesus is standing up. All these people, again, at least most of them would have known him. They saw him grow up. And the temple attendant hands Jesus the scroll of Isaiah, right? You guys know, obviously, before the printing press, uh, the Old Testament was transcribed on uh, long sheets of what were basically paper and then rolled up. So Jesus takes the scriptures, he takes the Old Testament, the Bible, and he unrolls it to Isaiah 61, which, by the way, was a messianic prophecy. So the prophet Isaiah wrote this chapter 700 years before this event happens about the Messiah who would one day come. So Jesus, he reads it, he rolls it up, he hands it back to the temple attendant and he just sits down. And everybody has their eyes just transfixed on Jesus like what in the world just happened? Like, is he gonna say anything after that? Did he, did he really just call himself the Messiah? So you can kind of just picture the suspense building and then Jesus opens his mouth and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. Jesus just said, I am the Messiah you've been waiting on. I'm the one that Isaiah wrote about 700 years ago. This is Jesus's coming out party. And he's saying, the kingdom of God is here and I have good news for everyone. And I want us to break down what Jesus just read about himself from Isaiah 61, because this is absolutely incredible. Jesus is telling the world, he's telling you and I why he's here and what he's about, which by the way, if you're here and you're a Christian, means this is what we're also supposed to be about as his disciples. All right, so here, here's the first thing that Jesus says that uh, I think should just really grab our attention this morning. He says, the spirit of God has anointed me to number one, preach good news to the poor. Now, this is huge because in that day, just as in our day, poor people are at a distinct disadvantage in life, right? They don't have the same access to medical care, they don't have the same access to educational opportunities. Even for a lot of people globally, they don't even have access to clean drinking water or basic food and shelter. All of those things are a ma major challenge for them. See, so, so these people are, are poor, they're exposed, they're powerless, they're forgotten by the world system. Oftentimes they are abused because they don't have the power to do anything about it. And here's the danger. I think sometimes as American Christians living in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, we're sort of at least mentally removed from the reality of suffering and poverty and the plight of the truly poor in this world. And that is a problem. And that's a problem because God's passion is for the poor. His passion is for the afflicted, the hopeless, the broken, both spiritually and physically. And the gospel is good news for people who are forgotten in this world's system. I looked up some, uh, some statistics that should be pretty sobering to all of us. I'm just gonna share a few of them with you. These should be shocking to us. These should shock our conscience um, awake. Uh, One billion children worldwide today are living in poverty. 
It's not even counting the adults. One billion with a B, kids. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. That means every 3.9 seconds, a child somewhere in the world dies from poverty or hunger. That means in the time that I'm on the stage this morning, about 100 kids will die from hunger. Kids just like your kids, just like your grandkids. Kids with hopes. Kids with dreams. Kids with potential. And many are dying without hope in this world and the world to come. 815 million people don't have enough food to eat today. That's almost a billion people who will go to bed hungry tonight. 750 million don't have access to clean drinking water. And we get mad because the toaster burns our Pop-Tart in the morning or something, right? A quarter of the world's population, almost 2 billion people, don't even have electricity. (laughs) Easily preventable disease. So like things that you and I would just go to CVS or you know, Walmart and get. So easily preventable disease or illness kills 2 million children per year because they're too poor to afford basic medical treatment. Friend, I want you to understand, none of that is okay. None of that is okay. And Jesus was saying to people, just, just like these people, to the poor, I have not forgotten about you. I have, I have good news for you. The grace I bring, my kingdom, it's not just for the rich. No, my grace is also for the poor. It's for the forgotten, for the despised, for the marginalized of this world. And understand this, historically, the Christian movement has been marked as the one place on this planet where rich, poor, men, women, every color, ethnicity, every political persuasion all become one family in Jesus. And I also want you to understand that that is the one and only worldview that lives like that. In every other worldview, there are hierarchies, there are caste systems. The rich receive preferential treatment. So in a world that says you are what you make, in a world that says you are what you drive or you are what you wear, Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, I have good news for the poor. My grace is for you. For the physically poor and for the spiritually poor, which, by the way, church is all of us. And this message isn't just something that Jesus taught one time in Luke chapter 4. This is all over the pages of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Proverbs 14 says this, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, that is God, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Did you catch that? God takes it personally when we oppress the poor. He takes it personally. After Jesus tells a parable in uh, Luke chapter 14, talking about how we should all live humble lives, Jesus says this. Some of you are familiar with this. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed 
because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus was about proclaiming good news to the least of these. And so if you're here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian, you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I just wanna ask you a question. In what ways is your life currently marked by these same things? In what ways are you engaging the poor, the marginalized, the enslaved, the abused, those forgotten by our society? And I just wanna say to you from a, from a place, from a posture of love, if you can't think of anything right now, like if you're jogging your mind, you're like, man, I can't really, I don't know how I'm engaging the poor. I don't know how I'm engaging the widow and the orphan and the least of these. I just wanna encourage you that perhaps it's time to begin reprioritizing our lives. And then that second thing Jesus says he came to do, so not only to preach good news to the poor, but number two, to liberate captives. And that word captives literally means prisoners of war. So, so this, this idea that Jesus is giving is like of, of, of forced prisoners or forced slaves. And I just want to say, church, like we should be about justice and liberation for the oppressed and enslaved people of this world because Jesus was. And let's, let, let's just, let's talk slavery for a minute because I think for, for many of us as sheltered Americans, and I put myself in that boat, sometimes we, we, don't, we have a distorted picture or a distorted view of slavery. Because if you're like me, when you hear the word slavery, I think about stuff that happened like 100, 200 years ago. And I think, my God, uh, how awful that our country was involved in, in something as wicked as the slave trade. But we, we think of it as something that we read about in history books. We don't think about it as something that's actually a reality for so many people today. And I want you to understand, I looked this up this week. Listen to me. There are currently 45 million people in forced slavery today. In 2018. 45 million people, many of them children a short video clip I want you to watch and then we'll move on. So this is the target establishment. First suspect, you for our victims. And remember if there's a hazard or dangerous situation, move yourself to a position of comfort. We've run pulled over to the police. and found out that they were in fact trafficked and they were in fact slaves. These little kids are on this boat. They are not fed. They are abused beyond imagination. We got to touch you up. This is the girl. Whenever something like this comes, I imagine in my mind that girl is found. We have operations all over the world, rescuing people from slavery. Because today there are criminals who abuse children, sell girls. How old is she? 12. 12? How much? 30? Yeah, yeah, I'm And force families into slavery. 
criminals prey on the easiest target, the world's poor, because they expect no one to defend them. Pareho po tayo mga tao, hindi po tayo ipagay or hayop na pwedeng gamitin lang sa pansarili. But today, there are thousands of people gathering to seek justice for those in slavery. We are a group of lawyers, counselors, activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. And together, we form the largest international anti-slavery organization in the world. But slavery won't come to an end until criminals know they can't get away with it. So we partner with local police to arrest and prosecute criminals. This sends a message to slave owners. We will not go away. We stay with the survivors until they are healed, until they are free. Natulungan po ako ng IJM sa pamigitan po na sa case ko, sa pagtulong po nila na ma-overcome ko po yung, yung fear. Each year, we rescue thousands of slaves and protect millions around the world. We are transforming how justice systems protect their citizens. To those who are still enslaved, we promise to find you. We will get you home to your families so you can have the freedom you deserve. Forty-five million people, church family. Forty-five million people. International Justice Mission is a Christian organization that we've just discovered and are starting to work with at New Life. So I want you to know when you give your send offering next week or make your pledges for next year or, or whatever, I want you to know that part of that offering is gonna go to help free slaves around the world. Jesus wants these captives set free, both physically and spiritually. God is a God of justice for those being oppressed under unjust people and unjust systems. And his, his salvation, his freedom is not just for physical captives, right? Some of you, obviously all of us, hopefully are not physical, we're not slaves, but some of you here this morning are spiritual captives. You haven't found freedom through Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want you to just know this morning that Jesus came to liberate you too. That Jesus is the great liberator. And Jesus also said that he came for a third reason. He said, I came to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind and freedom for the oppressed. So believer, our, our, our life should just be marked by proclaiming that this resurrected Jesus can make the blind see and he could set free the oppressed. Is this not our story, fellow Christian? How many of us once thought the gospel of Jesus Christ was just utter foolishness? But now we've given our, 
our lives to following this resurrected king. And we do that because though we were once blind, Jesus gave us spiritual eyes to see. And though we were all once spiritually oppressed in darkness, Jesus set us free. Isn't that all of our stories, friend? Isn't that good news? Shouldn't our lives be about proclaiming this good news, this, the best news to the people all around us that God places in and around our lives? And then Jesus said, it came for one last reason, and that was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which for you Bible nerds, you know that was a reference to something called the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. And the year of Jubilee was a year set aside by God every 50 years when all debts were canceled. So it, it literally was a kind of like a once in a lifetime event. And so in the year of Jubilee, every single debt was canceled. Every financial debt was canceled. Every slave was set free. Can you just imagine the scene? Some of you have debt. Some of you may have substantial debt and it causes you a lot of strain and pressure and sleepless nights. Can you just imagine waking up one morning and it's all completely forgiven? Just, just wiped free. Like you don't owe anybody a dime. Or, or back in these days, perhaps imagine if you were a slave and maybe you were poor and so you had to sell yourself into slavery to feed your kids and now all of a sudden you're free. You can go back to your family. You think there might be a celebration? You think might, we might throw a party? And God made this, and listen, this, this should tell us a lot about God's character, who he is. God made this a regular pattern for his people in the Old Testament. The year of Jubilee ultimately was a foreshadowing of the one who would come and cancel every single spiritual debt. And the one who would come and free every one who is in slavery who would just be willing to call upon his name. And Jesus shows up and Jesus says, that day is here. That day is now. I am Jubilee. I am Jubilee. So you come to me. You rest in me. And I'll cancel all all of your sin debt, and I will set you free, and I'm going to give you life, and I'm going to give it to you abundantly. Believer, we too were once prisoners. We were prisoners on death row with no hope. That's our story. And Jesus freed us. He delivered us. He canceled our debt. And so we must proclaim this good news to other captives like we once were. And after Jesus reads that, he sits down and everybody is staring at him thinking, did he just say what we think he just said? And then Jesus said today, the scripture has been fulfilled. There's something important about today, friend. There's something important about that day 2,000 years ago when Jesus read from Isaiah 61. There's also something really important about today. We give our life to Jesus today. We obey today. We live on mission today. We do something today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when it gets convenient, not when I feel like I got plenty of money because friend, often, too often, that day never comes. And this stuff is just plastered all over the pages of scripture. 
Psalm 10 says this, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So what does that mean? That's a lot of information to process. I get it. But if we were just kind of boil all that down to its essence, like if I were going to make this a one point sermon, which you know is hard for me, the big idea this morning is this. Like if we just, just boil it down, distill it down, this, this is the idea of what Jesus is saying. God, listen, God rescued us so that we could rescue others. Isaiah 1 says this, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. God rescued us so we could rescue others. Isaiah 58 says this, and God is, God is speaking to his people here, by the way, who are a very religious people. They would have been very churchy. They would have known all of the Sunday school answers. And this is what he says to them. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. God rescued us so that we could be on mission with him, rescuing others. God was saying to his people, listen, his very religious people, I don't want your dead religion. I don't even care about that stuff. I want you to be about what I'm about. I want you to give your life away to feeding the hungry and caring for the poor and freeing the oppressed in my name. And when you begin to, to live like that, when you begin to live like me, then I will hear you when you pray. Believer, God's plan of rescue, and hear this, God's plan of rescue is us. His plan of rescue is us. We gotta quit waiting on somebody to fly in like Superman and fix this. God's plan of rescue is us. And listen, I believe this with all of my heart. The church, the bride of Jesus is the hope of the world. It's not the government. It's not some literacy program. Like all that stuff may be important, but the hope of the world is the bride of Jesus. We have what they need. They need liberation physically and spiritually. And Jesus is the great liberator. And you say, okay, Chris, I think I, think I kind of get what you're saying I get that we're God's rescue plan, that we're plan A, there's no plan B. But man, I'm like a single mom with three kids and I'm working three jobs or man, I'm just trying to keep food on the table for my kids. What could I possibly do to engage in this global mission? It just seems so daunting. So there are three things, three very simple things that every single person sitting in this room right now can do to get involved. The first one is pray. We talked about this last week, right? We looked at the story where Jesus looks out at this massive crowd 
And Matthew says that he was moved to compassion, that his heart burned within him for these people, right? And then he looked and he turned to his disciples and he said, pray earnestly. Pray for these people. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to pray relentlessly. Beg God to intervene. Beg him to rescue. And so believer, we, we pray for the 45 million people trapped in slavery today. We pray for the 8 million kids that are going to starve to death this year. We pray for the 2.8 billion people that have little to no access to the good news of the gospel. That's almost 3 billion people who have no idea yet that God loves them, that he's made a pathway to forgiveness and freedom and peace through Jesus. Almost 3 billion people just living their lives and dying with no hope. And so when Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I want you to pray earnestly, I want you to understand this is not some Christian platitude. This is not some cheap bumper sticker statement. He's saying, this is big. Your father hears you. And so we ought to be a praying people. Prayer is power in God's kingdom. And so pray. The second thing we can all do is we can give. We can give to the cause. There's a parable in Luke 19. There's this king and he has all these servants and he gives, he gives all of his servants 10 minus. And these are coins that were worth about 100 days wage. So they got 10 of these. So this is a lot of money. And he gives each of his servants 10 of these coins to invest while he's gone. And he comes back and one servant had, had doubled the minus. So he'd gone from 10 to 20. So he had made He'd made 10 extra minas. And so the king looks at him and he says, good job, my faithful servant. I'm gonna put you in charge of 10 towns in my kingdom. There was a second servant and he had invested his 10 and he had made five. So he had now had 15 and the king looks at him and he says, good job, man, really well done. I'm gonna put you in charge of five towns in my kingdom. But then there was a third servant who was driven by fear. And he hadn't invested his minas at all. In fact, he had, he had taken them and he had just folded them up in a cloth, hidden the investment. He hadn't invested at all and there was no return. And the king looked at this third servant and he reprimanded him harshly and actually took his mina away and gave it to the guy who doubled his minas. And Jesus was telling this parable and he was saying to his disciples then, and he was saying to his modern day disciples, you and I today, listen, you will be held responsible for how you invest in God's kingdom. You will be held responsible for how you invest in God's kingdom. You will be held responsible for how, for how you steward what he gives you. And that's why once a year at New Life, we take up the send offering and every cent of that offering goes to causes like the ones we've just been talking about. To fight hunger, to fight poverty, to fight human sex trafficking and slavery. And most importantly, to take the good news of Jesus all around the world. Now, last year, um, you guys did awesome. We raised right around $70,000 for this cause. And I just want to say, I would love to see us shatter that record. I would love to see us just blow it out of the water. 
You have a send envelope in your bulletin. If you didn't get one, there's some back by the sound booth. Grab one of those. We're going to take up that offering next week. We're going to keep on taking it up through the end of the year. Like I said, if you don't have cash right now, feel free to make a pledge for 2019. But here's what I want to say to you. As, as my family, as my faith family here at New Life, will you please, will you pray and ask what God would have you sacrifice for this cause? for the poor, for the enslaved, for the oppressed, for the abused of this world, many of whom are in desperate need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you just, like if you're married, will you just talk to your spouse or if you're not, just, just pray about it and say, God, what could I sacrifice for this great cause, for this great mission? Like how many lattes at Starbucks can I give up over the next year? How many times can I like not go out to eat on Friday night? to be a part of this? Or how many times can I skip a movie and just stay at home and rent one and take that 50 bucks or whatever movies cost nowadays and invest in something that actually is gonna matter, something of eternal consequence? Church, would you do that with me? Would you pray and say, God, what can I give for this cost? One more thing you can do practically. We can all pray. We can all give, even if it's just a little bit. And then lastly, get in the game. Get off the bench and get in the game. There are so many ways for us to get involved personally. We introduced you to four of our city partners last week. There are hundreds of opportunities in this city for you to serve with your community group or all by yourself in the city, engaging darkness, loving the poor, loving the abuse and the marginalized. Beyond that, we have a partnership in Clarkston, Clarkston, Georgia, right north of Atlanta. We go down there two to three, maybe four times a year, and we work with refugees. People who are being resettled, people who have gone through unimaginable suffering, and they just oftentimes need a friend. Just need somebody to to love on them. You can begin to, to pray about and plan going on one of those trips to Clarkson, Georgia with us next year. We're gonna be adding some international trips uh, beginning next year as well to go to some of these dangerous, hard places that we just saw on the video, right? So, so maybe for you, it's time to get your passport ready. Maybe for you, it's, start, it's time to start saving some money so you can go on one of these trips with us next year or the year after, right? Church, we're, we're gonna get our hands dirty in this. Like we, we, can't, we can't stand still. Can't, we, can't, we can't sit here in our comfortable little middle-class American bubbles while so many people suffer in pain and slavery with no hope all around the world. Jesus was about the poor. He was about the oppressed. He was about the enslaved, the abused, and the marginalized in this world. And so must we. We are God's rescue plan. There's not another plan. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, if you're a believer, I just wanna ask you, are you in or are you out? It's time for some of us to make a decision. Stop playing games. Are you in or are you out? And if you're in on God's global mission to reconcile people who are far from him to himself, and let's begin to pray together relentlessly. Let's give, let's give, let's give generously, church. Let's give 
extravagantly to this cause. And then let's get involved. Let's get in the game together. A lot is at stake. We can make a difference. And Jesus demands nothing less. As the band comes, I want to close with a passage from a little book in the Old Testament called Micah, where God tells his people what he expects them to be about. This is Micah chapter six. He says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. God in heaven, would you, would you wreck our hearts for the brokenness in this world, for the pain in this world, for those who suffer, God. Would you unsettle us in our spirits, God? Would you wake us up at night if you need to, God? Would you stoke this passion within us for the least of these, for the poor, for the children, for the 22,000 children who are gonna starve to death today? For the 45 million in forced slavery today, for the almost 3 billion people that have no idea that you love them and you sent Jesus to rescue them. Father, would you forgive us for our apathy, for our spiritual laziness? God, forgive us for just playing stupid church games while the world around us burns and suffers. God, would you help us to get off the sideline and into the game, into your mission of reconciling people who are far from you bring them near to you through your son, Jesus. God, would you, would you help us do this? And we ask all of that in the name that brings hope, in the name that brings life, the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, will you stand with me as we sing?